This is Dr. David Howard in his teaching on the books of Joshua through Ruth. This is session number 25, Judges chapter 4 through 5, Deborah and Barak. Greetings again. And in this segment, we're going to be discussing uh, Judges chapters 4 and 5. Uh, this is the story of Deborah and Barak and their battle against the Canaanites. And in here we have a unique set of texts um, because the details of the story are told in chapter 4 in prose form, straightforward narrative. And then in chapter 5, we have a hymnic reflection back upon those events. We have uh, Deborah uh, singing and composing this song. It's in poetic form. If you look at your Bible, you'll see that chapter 5 looks like, um, looks like the song, looks like poetry. Uh, and the, this is one of the places in the Bible where we can have a sort of a hermeneutical test case for how to interpret prose, how to interpret poetry. Uh, in most languages, intuitively, intuitively, we understand that uh, <clears throat> poetry can tend to be more figurative in, in its de depiction of things. Prose tends to be more straightforward. So, um, and poetry sometimes is more emotive than prose. And so there's lots of characteristics that are different, and we, we see them in action here. We see them laid out here. Um, we discussed this in a previous segment when you're discussing the excuse me, the passage in Joshua that talked about the sun and the moon standing still, so to speak, but I would argue that that little passage is poetic. It's a hindic reflection back upon the battle that's just been completed in that chapter, verses 6 to 11. Uh, but this is a really helpful kind of control to help understand how to interpret things. Uh, so maybe just to, just to look at that from the hermeneutics of it before we look at the beginnings of the story, just to point out, we have the, the prose account in uh, 24 verses in, ver in chapter 4, and we have kind of the, the prosaic. Uh, the word prosaic is kind of you know, everyday, and it comes from the word prose. The prosaic conclusion to the chapter in uh, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, till they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So that's just kind of the general prose wrap-up. Um, in the poem, we have a lot of that ground covered that's in chapter 4, but a lot of the things in the poem are not really found in the prose account, and some of it's much more figurative. So, for example, in chapter 5, Verse 4, it says, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, or Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. Verse 5, the mountains quaked before the Lord. Uh, there's no account of thunderstorms and earthquakes and so on in, the chapter, in chapter 4, but the poem kind of talks about this as if God is bringing to bear all the forces of nature against the uh, Canaanites. And that's even more so when you read down in verse 20, when it says, from heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera, who was the Canaanite general, and uh, so on. So um, we don't really imagine that there was something really happening with the stars and special 
gamma rays or x-rays coming down. Uh, we understand that intuitively as figurative language to say that God brought all things to bear and the victory was, was total and overwhelming. And uh, so this is a really good test case to see how to, to interpret prose versus poetry. Another really helpful case is uh, very similar is the story of the Exodus out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea. We see that in the prose account in Exodus 14, the poetic account in Exodus 15, the first 18 verses. And uh, if you're very inspired to do further work, spend some time making a chart, listing the things in Exodus 14 against the things in Exodus 15 or Judges 4 and 5, and you can see how poetry works versus vis-a-vis -vis how prose uh, works. So uh, now let's talk about the actual story as it unfolds in chapter 4 and uh, see what, what is happening. Deborah is the fourth of the judges, and uh, the story begins, uh, again, with them being told that the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 1. Uh, God sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, Yabin, and pronounced in Hebrew, who reigned up in Hazor, or Hazor. Uh, Hazor is in the far north of the, of the land. And his general was a man named Sisera. So the people of the Lord were oppressed. Uh, Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, so obviously a well-equipped army. And he oppressed the people for 20 years. Now, Deborah's introduced here in a, in a different way than uh, any of the other judges because we see her um, judging as we would think a real judge does in our modern day, namely giving out advice or giving out uh, rendering judgments or decisions. So in verses 4 and 5, chapter 4, first of all, it calls her a prophetess and says she was judging Israel at the time. She sat under the palm of Deborah, a place that got her, her, her name was attached to between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim in the center part of the country. People came to her for judgments. So um, that sets her apart, above and apart and away from others. We see later in the chapter, and then in chapter 5, uh, that she's also, she ends up taking the lead in the military uh, conflict. Barak, uh, the other man here in the story, uh, seems to be afraid to take the lead, and so she uh, steps up and does that. So she is a leader par excellence. She's a prophet, she's a judge, she's a, um, a, a military leader, essentially. And so she's kind of unique and steps out in a way. She's the, she's the only woman of, among the judges. She's the exception in that sense. And ironically, she is the judge that shines most brightly uh, of all the 12 judges that we see uh, in the book. So she uh, talks, uh, she sends and summons Barak in verse 6, uh, says to him that we should go and uh, you take your men. He appears to be the... Uh, Military commander, go take your, uh, your men at Mount Tabor, take 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw Sisera, the general. So she's proposing a strategy where she and he would collaborate in uh, defeating the enemy. But Barak uh, is much more squeamish, it appears to be. He says, if you go with me, I'll go, but if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going to go. So <laughs> um, he's, he's unwilling to leave and be on his own and try to do a joint effort in a different way. So after that, he sort of fades into the background, and she's the one that uh, gets the credit. So she says, uh, verse 8, uh, I'm sorry, verse 9, she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. 
And there's a second woman who is a hero in this book, in this chapter, uh, a woman named Jael or Yael, uh, who is the one that actually kills uh, the, Cicero, the Canaanite general, uh, Sisera. Uh, ironic, because Barak is the Israelite general who should have, in a sense, been the one to kill his Canaanite counterpart, but um, he is being led by a woman, and it's another woman who kills the uh, Canaanite general. So they have quite, a, quite an army. Verse 10, they call out from Zebulun, Naphtali. So we mentioned the early part of the book, uh, in, in the introductory uh, comments in the lectures, that uh, it appears that most of the judges were not judges leading a coalition of all 12 tribes of Israel in any given battle against the Canaanites. Here it appears that, Deb that Deborah and Barak are working with a couple tribes. Um, so the, these are smaller coalitions, and it is very possible, probably likely, that also uh, some of these actions of the judges were contemporary with each other. They overlapped at least because the, the number of the years that uh, is told here in the book of Judges exceeds the time frame that we know is sort of the beginning and end points of the period of the judges. So here's an example of that, um, primarily coming from Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, so uh, Sisera hears the, uh, of the threat uh, in verse 12, and he calls out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and Deb Deborah instructs Barak uh, to go with his 10,000 men following, but in the, the Lord, verse 15, routes Sisera and the chariots before, uh, before Barak. So Barak does engage in some of the battle here, uh, but Sisera seem, is, appears to be able to escape. And uh, all the army of Sisera did fall to Barak, end of verse 16, but Sisera escaped and he arrives at the, temp, the, the tent of a woman yet named Yael. Uh, in verses 17 to the end of the chapter, we have two more women. So there's really three women that figure in this chapter, Deborah and Yael. But then, ironically, at the end, uh, the mother of, uh, of Sisera uh, is, well, I'm sorry, it's not here, it's in, the, it's in the poem. But the mother of Sisera appears at the end of the poem uh, as one who is mourning as well. So we'll see that in a, in a few minutes. So Sisera flees away to the tent of Yael. She welcomes him in. She, he, uh, she covers him up. He asks for some water. She gives him some milk and so on. Uh, long story, when he falls asleep, she takes a tent peg and pounds it through his skull, and uh, he ends up uh, dead along with the rest of his army. So the victory over the Canaanite coalition is, is complete. And... Uh, it's mainly at the hand of uh, two of the women leaders here in the, in the chapter. So there's uh, a song composed, sung, uh, to celebrate the occasion that we find in chapter 5. And it says that Deborah and Barak uh, sang this song. It's usually called the Song of Deborah. Uh, in the literature, you'll see in commentaries, but we see Barak is part of this. And to, his, you know, to give him credit, he does lead the army and destroy the army of, uh, of Sisera. But he seems to want to do it in the shadow of Deborah. And uh, he doesn't have the honor of killing his counterpart, the uh, Sisera. Uh, so it begins uh, in verse 2. The leaders took the, leader, the lead and the peoples offered themselves willingly. And this word, the verb here, offer themselves willingly, is one, one word in Hebrew. Uh, it's, it's the same word that's found in, the end, in number, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus, 
when uh, the people were coming out of, Israel, out of Egypt and the people were willingly uh, taking of the treasures and bringing them and giving them to the tabernacle to build the tabernacle. It's the same word found years later, uh, almost a thousand years later, in the books, uh, book of Nehemiah, when people were offering themselves willingly to help in the construction of the walls of, the, of, the, uh, of, the, of Jerusalem, in Ezra with the, with the construction of the temple. So there's this idea that people are pitching in and doing their job and, and uh, the nation is coming together in a positive way uh, at this point. And uh, verse 3 sounds almost like a psalm. Um, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it begins lauding the Lord, praising the Lord for things he has done. Verses 4 and 5 talk about him marching forth. Um, and then it kind of goes along and uh, mentions the days of Shamgar, the earlier judge, days of Yael, verse, five, uh, verse 6. Um, and then it kind of just, just kind of gives a history of what's happening. Uh, there's no kind of narrative storyline in, the, in these comments, but they're kind of coming around and just touching down on different things and kind of praising God. But from verses 14 and following, uh, we, well, verse 13, it talks about the marching there, and marching, of course, is usually done in a sequence. And uh, so verses, in verses 14 and following, we have eight different tribes mentioned as part of the coalition. So we've had a couple mentioned earlier, but now there's more. Uh, so verse 14, there's Ephraim. Uh, also verse 4, Benjamin. Verse, uh, verse 14, I'm sorry. And then verse 14 mentions Zebulon. 15 mentions Issachar and Reuben. Uh, six, 17 mentions Dan and Asher. Uh, and 18 mentions Zebulon again and then Naphtali. So there is, it seems like a larger coalition than we saw in chapter 4 and a larger coalition than uh, in most of the engagements of the other uh, judges. Uh, the kings came, they fought, uh, verse 19, uh, fought the kings of Canaan by Ta'anak, by the waters of Megiddo. They had no spoils. The stars fought from heavens, in verse 20. And uh, the, the imagery keeps piling up of this great total victory against the, uh, the Canaanites. There's a really radical change in the tone of the poem when we get to verse 24. And it kind of slows down and um, focuses on one person. It focuses on Yael, the one who killed uh, Sisera. So it praises her by saying, verse 24, most blessed of women be Yael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Um, he asked for water, she gave him milk, brought him curds, and so on. She set her, tent, her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the working mallet. Now, verse 26 kind of gives us an illustration of how poetry works. Uh, there's discussions of exactly what was the sequence there, what, if the video camera was running, what would we have seen. Um, we imagine, you know, if she has a tent peg in one hand and she has a mallet in the other, uh, pounding it this way. Uh, so, verse 26, she set her, set her hand to the tent peg. She set her right hand to the workman's mallet. Um, some scholars argue that the reference to hand in the first part of the verse and right hand in the next line are the same, but that kind of jumbles up the picture of how is she going to be doing that with holding everything in one hand. So I think it's the, just a straightforward reading. Grabs a pen, tent peg in the other. 
She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered, she pierced his temple. So notice there's four verbs, bang, 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 bang. Um, kind of adding to the imagery, to the vividness of things. And then I, 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 I think verse 27 is one of the most remarkable uh, depictions in words in the Bible of the, of the uh, drama of something happening. Because here, the, the poetry, the, you probably know that Hebrew poetry is very regular, and it occurs usually in paired lines, and the lines are usually of pretty similar length. There's sort of a certain sense of rhythm in, in the lines. But here in verse 27, uh, that poetry is fractured. Uh, the lines get shorter and shorter, and uh, it kind of ends with one word. So let me just try to read it in a way that captures that. Um, it's talking about Sisera, the general who was killed, and Yael, the one who killed him. So verse 27, between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. And so this kind of, it kind of pictures the, the death spiral almost of this man. And uh, the poetry gives three verbs in the first uh, part. Sank, fell, lay still. Second one, sank, fell. Third one, sank, then he fell. And then the last word in here is just dead. And so there's this kind of this funnel, this death spiral here, and it captures, I think, the drama of things. And I think the author uh, of the poem is Deborah, who... Uh, was intentionally breaking, intentionally fracturing the poetry here to kind of show, uh, to show that. Then there's another dramatic change, and it's even more dramatic because it shifts the scene out of Israel in the battleground to wherever uh, Sisera is from, and it focuses on somebody that has not been mentioned at all in the text, either in chapter 4 or chapter 5 up to this point, and that is uh, Sisera's mother. And so now we're looking at the, uh, a character of a, of a Canaanite. It's one of the only passages in the Old Testament where we have the sort of the internal mental processes of a Canaanite person, an enemy of Israel, described. Usually the Canaanites are de depicted in what in literary terms is sometimes called a, a flat character. They're not really very highly developed. We just know that they're usually bad guys. Uh, Rahab is one that's uh, described in much more detail. She would be what's in literary terms called a round character, uh, much more fully developed literarily. Uh, Sisera's mother, um, we see a little bit about the inner workings in her mind, and she's sort of in between, uh, just a totally flat character and a fully round character. Uh, anyway, so out of the window she's looking, uh, verse 28. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Is her wisest princess answer? Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. The spoils. And it's just a, it's just a sad and tragic picture of a woman bereft of her son, surrounded by her servants, uh, princesses, um, but she can do nothing to bring back her son. He's not going to show up. And uh, so the final verse on the poem, verse 31, it appears to be the author of the poems now, Deborah's uh, final response and reflection on things, kind of picking up on this 
statements about Sisera's mother. And it says, May all of your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Uh, so it's a very dramatic poem. It's a very dramatic story of victory led by an unexpected type of person, a woman. Um, but the poem is just a, a very dramatic poem, and it highlights the exploits of a, a great woman leader, Deborah, um, another woman, Yael, who kills the Canaanite general, and then uh, the Canaanite general's mother, who is seen as a mournful, forlorn uh, person, which adds to the drama of the chapter. This is Dr. David Howard in his teaching on the books of Joshua through Ruth. This is session number 25, Judges chapter 4 through 5, Deborah and Barak.